Dude, are you are you jiving with the music right now? I'm jiving. Wait, does that word? Do I people even use that word anymore? No, I, jive. Somebody uses it. Are you grooving with the music? I'm grooving man? with the music. Jiving and grooving. How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, crazy. Enjoyable. You know, me and my wife got married on November twentieth, right around oh, yeah. Thanksgiving. So we always celebrated. Yeah. I didn't see anything on Facebook about your anniversary. Cleveland. Cleveland, it was there. You missed it. You must have been busy with your own anniversary, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, this again. <laughs> so you went down to Indiana and did some No, we did stuff. not go to Indiana oh, this okay. time. We went to my sister's, and then we went to Cleveland. Now, I, we have always gone to Cleveland on our, well, always. I mean, for the last 10 years or more we've gone to cleveland and there's it's just a wonderful city it's a marvelous city cleveland is great i officiated a wedding there about a year ago it's it's beautiful where where in um, cleveland uh, there's a university there is it oh, K- universe, case western yes case western yeah, university the Circle, a glorious area yeah it's great and then there's the italian the little italy area on mayfield right off the, that's where i hang out and eat all. and they have the uh, the browns are there who <laughs> no, actually, they're doing a little better. Actually, yeah, since yeah, they fired yeah. their coach, yeah, I'm not it, a big. It's fan. hard. It's hard to not improve upon a 0 and 16 season. All right. Well, before we rip uh, any more into Cleveland, whom, <laughs> by the way, which I love, the city which I love. Yes. What are we going to talk about today? What did, What's on the queue? We're going to be talking about what happens when pastors are caught in the middle. Yeah. Uh, Caught in the middle. That's a good descriptor of it, but yet it doesn't really um, solve the problem. But let's start with the problem. What is the problem? I was I was setting you up, but... Um, oh, you were setting me yeah, up? Yeah, yeah. Specifically, we're talking about one pastor who got caught in the middle last week. Yeah, we're not, we're not actually um, talking about Brian Zond in particular, no. but he's an example of what often happens. Uh, in the church today, he yeah. got caught in the middle. He made a tweet about um, gay Christians being in his church, quite at home in his church, and yet he also said in the same tweet that we do not perform same-sex weddings. And of course, how much can you really accomplish in one tweet except to set those two uh, together in one tweet is is going to set off um, a bomb of some yeah. kind, uh, yeah. a, a swirl. An yeah. ideolog- what I like to call an ideological <laughs> swirl. Down the toilets. Yeah, and so uh, caveat here, I, I am a, I do consider my, I don't know if Brian considers me a friend, but I consider him a friend. And actually I think he does, I think I do know he considers me a friend. So anyways, the point is, um, I'm a friend, um, and I don't want to, I'm not here to defend Brian or anything, but he did get caught in a Twitter swirl uh, that revolved around this tweet. You want to explain? Yeah, more? yeah. Specifically, Brian tweeted, "Gay Christians participate fully in the life of our church. We don't perform same-sex weddings." And in response, um, a guy named Chuck McKnight. He's a blogger. Yeah, I we call him I, probably I a him. progressive evangelical. Yeah. I know him a little bit, not yeah. much. He I mean, writes, I know his writing a little bit. I don't know him personally. Patheos uh, blog. Um, I think it's in the progressive stream on the Patheos website. An open letter to Brian Zahn on full participation in the church. And Chuck writes, either you affirm gay Christians or you don't. Either they truly do participate fully in the life of your church or you deny them the sacrament of marriage. But you can't have it both ways. And that kind of brilliantly uh, summarizes 
uh, this this uh, dilemma we're caught in in many of the issues, cultural issues we're facing today. It's either A or not A, mm-hmm. nothing in between. And so putting Brian aside for a minute, I just think that pastors are often like uh, put into this situation where they have to speak for the church, lead the church towards being either for something or against something. And if they withhold um, judgment or want to hold open space for the conversation or maybe not take a position on this subject, they get accused of complicity with power and injustice and the wrong side of history. Right, because they're not being clear about where they stand on the issue. So what do you do when you're caught in the middle? Have you ever been caught in the middle? I've been caught in the middle in this conversation more times than I can count. That that was in the sexuality conversation. Mm-hmm. It was about five years of my ministry. You probably don't remember this, but I wrote about it a lot in my dissertation. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I say I that I do c- remember that. I say now. that c- I say that because you read a lot of dissertations. Um but but this is a big part of what I do my remember your oral on. review on your dissertation. <laughs> okay, but we won't that. go there. We will not go there. It it did turn out well. Yeah I I have been caught in the middle and I think I think it 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 makes sense to me um or I, I'm sympathetic to the Chuck McKnight response because there's some anger there there's um some frustration with the way the church has treated the LGBT community in the past and it feels like a little bit of an evangelical bait and switch we thought Brian was on our side now he's no longer on our side but what you're saying is let's step back and consider the the sides that we've even laid out in this conversation. Well, before we even get there, um, I just want to talk about uh, how uh, the, the minute you see, you see so much anger and mm-hmm. reverberation, you know there's a lot of hurt and there's yes. a lot of pain and actually an internal antagonism is what I like to call it. Bitterness injustice okay so let's just recognize there's a lot of history here that just plain out and outright stinks it internal antagonism sounds like a stomach virus <laughs> could you could you unpack okay. that a little well, more i mean uh so an antagonism is something i mean i actually use it and got so used to using it yeah. in the ways uh ideological studies use it right. kind of um re- deriving from Marx and some of the other early studies of critique of ideology. So, uh, but it basically uh, means that there's an, uh, an uh, not just a argument going on, there's an injustice and a reflex reaction against it. You know, he- yeah. Hegel had a thesis, antithesis, synthesis, Aufheben thing Alf going Heben. on. This is the way history moves. And so there's always a reaction to a reaction, which leads to okay. some kind of furtherance. Yeah. Well, anyways, all that to say, there's antagonisms going That's on, good. and they're internal to the church. Mm-hmm. And as Andrew Marin said in Us Versus Us, and he did a study of 3,000 gay and lesbian people, is uh, the grand majority in excess of almost 90% are from the church and it's an internal squabble as to what it means to be male, female, heterosexual, uh, gay, lesbian. And so uh, there's an antagonism going on here and it's internal to the church. And if I remember right from his book, 3% of people say they left the church because of their 
quote unquote view of sexuality. Three? I think it's only three percent. I don't remember that, but that's that's an interesting stat. So I, I think that points to the conflict and the squabble that's happening within the church and that we just don't know how to navigate conflict, this conflict, but just conflict in general. We don't know how to navigate conflict in the church. Yeah, and let's let's just add another element to that. And that is that when you have a big church like Brian Zond or any other mega church, all the power dynamics are exacerbated because of people following a leader or group of leaders right. and a particular vision of an organization. And there's very little space for people to actually get together and talk about mm-hmm. these issues. They are looking to the leadership or the power structure to make a decision for them, yeah. and then they decide whether they're in or out. So everything we're about to say about pastors caught in the middle is going to be much harder for Brian Zahn or for any pastor of a larger church. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not hoping to... N- necessarily do a hot take on what 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 happened we want to say hey if you're in this situation here are some practices some ways to to navigate and discern what to do together as a church yeah so let's step back and ask the question um why should we there are occasions when i mean i would say always when we are presented with an either or an a or a not a decision on a position we should step back and ask what's going on. In in this case, the sexuality debate, but in so many other debates, we, the church is facing an historically new situation that it has not faced. And we might even say, you know, uh, I mean, you remember uh, Boswell's article in the 80s about... Uh, I, was, I was born in 83. Yeah, well... I didn't say you remembered it when <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. You, in 1980. I know, I know. I'm but but just but ripping ba- you. <laughs> yeah, Boswell's article made the case that Paul was not talking about gay sexuality in Romans chapter one in the same way that we use the term or understand sexuality today. And all that illustrates is the church is is encountering something they've never encountered before: a gay, lesbian sexuality, a culturally accepted form of sexuality that's a lot different than the Greco-Roman times, uh, in and before and after and about the time of the church. Uh, so what we're faced with here is something new. Yeah, it's it's brand brand new. And so I mean, brand new meaning fifty years. Yeah, in the life of the church, that's that feels brand new. I mean, Michel Foucault made a argument about the birth of gay sexuality through the medical systems and medical gaze of the 1800s. And so um, this is new. And so the church needs to have a discernment time about that. And if we rush into a position of A or not A, uh, I fear we foreclose the discussion. Is that that too much to ask of people to, to say, hey, slow your roll down? We want to slow this conversation down. Is that too much to ask? Well, um, yeah. I mean, it does demand patience. And we must always remember that there are claims and hurts and pains that derive from injustice. And so, what? Are, who are you, uh, heterosexual Dave, white right. man, yep. to ask me to be patient right um again illustrating the dilemma that we're caught in 
Um, so I think you have to ask the right questions and you have to ask and, and, and have to sort through the issues that we have to deal with. Um, and so um, the first thing I'll say is, um, do we even know now what marriage means? <laughs> when we say gay marriage, as as Brian said in his tweet, do we even know what gay means? Right. I think uh, when you're in a position of power, Christendom is what I like to call it. When you are posturing as if you speak for a lot of people, you can assume not only do I know what gay means, but I know what gay means for you and you and everybody else. Right. And not only do I know what marriage means, but I know what it means for everybody, including those who aren't even Christians. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we don't get a chance to talk about and discern those issues. Right. Yeah, so, so it sounds like it's a little bit of a, a power struggle. That's how I've been describing I believe it. It's, I believe power is at the core of it. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but um, let's understand, I think, something really important. And I've written about it, and I've even written about it on my Facebook page this week, and I've even gotten people accusing me for speaking for all gay people as to what gay means. And I was actually saying, remember when I put gay in square quotes, yeah. uh, scare quotes yeah. to, to illustrate that gay always has a context and always a conversation. And so I'm oversimplifying it now. But what gay means on the north side of Chicago is different than what it means at University of Chicago. It's different Absolutely. than what it means in Wheaton, Illinois, in the western suburbs, the white suburbs of Chicago. Um, uh, and so I'm just saying we cannot speak. Right. But but there's this desire to grab power and to be able to determine and de define it for all people. And 50 years ago, we were able to define sexuality pretty clearly. Or culturally speaking, there was a... A hegemony. Hegemony. A univocal view or um an, an assumed definition and it was not what necessarily sexuality looked like it was hardly a good hegemony right right I yeah mean, and we're not it, saying we're not saying we, we want to go back to that what we're saying is we're that saying we don't want to go we back don't want to go back to that but but we're seeing the fractures in the church and what we typically tend to do is we want to go back or we want to grab power and we want to try to um, dominate or quiet the other side. Exactly. Or quiet or exert what we believe to be justice. Yes. And so we don't even know, however, what justice might be yet. Uh, the second issue is we don't know what marriage is. I'm arguing nonstop these days that even evangelical marriage as a hybrid of Hollywood romanticists movie scripts mm -hmm. together with a monogamous line from from the history of Christianity has worked out disastrously mm -hmm. and now you have this you have this I think um, tragic picture of marriage uh, a la James Dobson where uh, we have to be attracted to a person, and right, they have to right. look a certain way, and I have to feel a certain way, and they have to fulfill my desires and all my needs. Yeah, and and I have to look as I have to be as good looking as Mike Moore. <laughs> Can you imagine how hard that is to live up to? And so all this to say, 
we need to take a good hard look at what we mean by marriage. And it is not. Marriage in the evangelical church is not what historically marriage has been in the Christian church and what it, how it evolved and developed out of the person and work of Jesus Christ and his redemption of all things. So we need a conversation, and we need it bad. Yeah, we need a conversation about not only marriage, but also about the family, about home. But I don't mean that in the James, Dob- James Dobson way. Exactly. I'm thinking about it like family and home in terms of economy sharing. Um, David Masco McCarthy writes a great book about that. Howard Watts has some great writings about Masco marriage. McCarthy's book is uh, Sex and Love in the Home, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's a good book. On that. Uh, we read that in Sexual Ethics Northern Seminary. If anybody's interested, we. Uh, you know, we are taking applications for Master of Theology and Mission. Sorry, a little <laughs> commercial. Okay. Next point. So, so um, the second thing I'd like to say is, uh, you know, people say uh, silence or not taking a position is complicity. Silence is violence. Silence is complicity with power mm-hmm. or evil. And that, that kind of is a, is a reminiscence of... MLK Jr.'s, you know, famous quotes, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. Right. Or uh, I got another quote down here. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. That's mm-hmm. a very famous one. Yep. And, and okay, so we all get there are times after we have discerned, we must be bold, courageous, and come alongside people. Not make, not make statements out of a power position come alongside people stand with them Mm -hmm. but i fear uh you know mlk was operating out of a white christendom world where he assumed integration into a the american dream equality for all he believed in that this and, and and i'm not so sure so he operated out of that posture malcolm x on the other hand said what uh, you are buying so so you're buying into the nightmare. Right, right. It's not the dream. It's not the American dream. For the black man and woman it's the nightmare. Mm-hmm. And he saw that we had to actually discern pieces within the white Christendom edifice that may not be something we want to participate in. Even, by the way, equality might be white man's way of subjugating the black man and woman into their uh, systems. And so I think it's really important to understand there are times when we must opt out of the frame itself right. to examine what God is doing. And you're saying that in this conversation, we need to opt out of the frame of how we have conflict in the church. So uh, I guess I'm trying to make it practical. So how do you opt out of the frame when you are caught in the middle as a pastor? I've been caught in the middle many times yeah, and would, would try to find strategies and practices. I think some of them were effective. Effective is probably the worst way to describe it. Some of them ushered us into God's presence. Others did not. Mm. But how do you actually un, undo the bellicosity, the brittleness of the situation and move people into God's presence? Yeah. Yeah, well... Um, Did I take this someplace you didn't want to go? No, I can go with you on that. I just think it's really important, first of all, to realize that the antagonism or the ideology is dictating the terms of 
the sides and every and, and so when we have discerned we are in an ideological battle mm-hmm. and uh, I have a book coming up in July the church of us versus them is the title of it the point is when we recognize we're in an ideology and now we are getting our identity even some perverse pleasure in being right over against the enemy yeah. and we are now being <clears throat> caught into this ideology we must refuse to enter the ideology on the terms as dictated by the violence and antagonism of the ideology. I'm either for you or I'm against you. So just realizing that first right. is a big step forward right. in, in knowing how to lead in the midst of these, as, you, as we put it in this podcast, in the middle. Right. Now you want some tactics. Yeah, well... Tactics and practices. The first one that I, the first one I go to, the first thing I think of is the Lord's Supper, um, and I can share from my experience. So, when churches in the past I was part of were going through this conflict, it was the Lord's Supper that necessitated the opportunity for reconciliation. And the few times I remember not taking the Lord's Supper was when our church was going through a conflict around sexuality Mm. and people had been wounded on either side and I had wounded people Mm. um, volitionally or unknowingly. And the, the gift I think about uh, of being a co-pastor is you can look to somebody else in the church and say, Hey, can you administer the sacrament uh, this Sunday? I'm not in a place to do it, but that is what moved us towards reconciliation was like that night, the next morning, hey, I didn't take the Lord's Supper last night because we're not reconciled. And it didn't necessarily speed up the process, but it put us in it put us in a relationship with each other. So when someone comes to me and says, I didn't take the Lord's Supper because I'm not right with you, it also requires me to examine myself and say, well, it, should I be taking the Lord's Supper? Um, and then it moves us to a place where we're having a conversation and where we are like asking for forgiveness, praying, not solving the situation because we we actually never solved it. Um, we we never got through it. We didn't figure it out, but it did put us in a place where we could have conversations around reconciling and confessing to each other. Yeah, uh, you know um, that wasn't where I was going, but I like it. Uh, I mean, I think the fundamental practices of the church of being the body of Christ. Um, make possible being in his presence and make possible these incredible uh, dynamics that break the hold of antagonism. And I think the Lord's table properly practiced Mm -hmm. is an excellent example. Of course, reconciliation itself, Matthew 18. I mean, I have a little piece in uh, what book was, I'm sorry, now I'm actually, oh, uh, (laughs) it was in Faithful Presence about when we have disagreement, let's say I do not, let's say I as a, a white straight male don't want um, a gay man teaching Sunday school mm-hmm. because I'm afraid of the influence sexuality, the exemplar sexuality might have, let's say, on my eight-year-old son. I, this is actually a fictional thing, but I go to that person and I start talking about my fears. Yeah. And I listen to that person. And all of a sudden it changes from being an, the gay person changes from being an ideological object to somebody I'm in relationship with. 
and we begin mm-hmm. to work it out and submit to one another and un- unwind the antagonisms that are at work in our very souls, our what Foucault calls our subjectivities, how we yeah. think, feel, and desire. Yeah, and that's where the Holy Spirit can work. And you, and you have to attend to power in those situations. So, Absolutely. So, f- in, in our situation, I was one of the pastors, but also probably the one who's the most influential or had the largest agency and influence. So I wasn't going to invite people into my office to sit down and have a conversation with me because there's a power dynamic there. So I set it up so I would go to their house where I'm a stranger, where they're inviting me into their space, where I'm sitting down in their place. Mm. And, And by doing that, I'm making myself a guest uh, where they are welcoming me in and I'm recognizing the power that I hold and it's putting me in a place that's more vulnerable as opposed to being in an office where I can say, yeah, well, screw you. I don't agree with you. Shut the door when you leave. It's like I, I am here in your home. You welcomed me in and we are recognizing um, the power that we hold and then we're opening up space for the Lord to minister to both of us. Or among us or between us. You know, uh, uh, I've always said that the one in perceived power goes first, meaning yep. submits to the other. Mm-hmm. Of course, Jesus did it at the table where he was the presiding oh, host, but he washed the disciples' mm-hmm. feet. Uh, when you submit, I submit to you, that takes the, uh, uh, the, dis- the defense mechanisms down. The, yeah. fists, the fists go down it and does. all of a sudden... You're submitting to me. It can't be fake, obviously. It can't be performative. It's got to be real. But it opens up space for God to work in people's lives. Uh, I, I would like to talk about tactics pastors can have available. Tactics means not strategies to win, mm-hmm. not uh, t- tactics to put a headlock on somebody and get them to do what I want them to do. Tactics that can open space and provoke and, and, and allow the Holy Spirit to do what he's going to do. Tactics, um, Michael DiCerto, I think I've talked about this on the yeah. podcast many times, but they're just tactics of the weak, the position, not, not powerful, the weak. Okay, so, give me your first um, tactic. Uh, you know, my first obvious one is ask good questions. Yeah. Um, seek, questions are always good if they locate a contradiction in the ideology Hmm. Uh, you say one thing but you're doing another you don't say it as an assertion you say something like okay if you believe this why does this make sense I submit to you and you open up space I got to understand you more it seems to me you're saying this yeah how does that fit with also this Use mm. good questions, open-ended questions, but questions that are directly located in the in the problem. And I think open-ended questions is important because you're not moving them to a conclusion. You're asking a question to understand and, and to attend. But also, and I must be direct, there are contradictions. That if something sure. is working in an ideological fashion and has got a hold on somebody— there's contradictions, but you don't ever want to point out the contradiction no. like a mirror and hit somebody yeah. over the yeah. head with it. That ramps you up the want, volume. You want to ask, yeah. how does this work? And and oh, allow the person to think through and reflect with you. Um, never 
try to humiliate or defeat an, an opponent, an opponent, mm -hmm. sorry, you don't want to call the person an opponent. You want to win a friend, not an argument. Yeah. Yep. Be empathetic, be ironic, open that space. Lastly, I mean, okay, I always say the problem with ideology is it conceptualizes the object hmm. and, and, and turns it into an enemy and distances it from real life. Tell a real story. Tell a real story. So, you know, um, let's say someone is on the affirming side of the LGBTQ sexuality side, a sexuality issue. Tell a story about someone who's been hurting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can tell five stories right now of very complex issues and how gay or lesbian sexuality or other sexualities, even, of course, straight sexuality is fraught with issues. We can't. I mean, there's so much about straight, heterosexual, romanticist, evangelical marriage I do not want to affirm. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And also there are things then when we tell stories, do we want to affirm how this person uh, is interacting with such and such a person on such and such an issue when this happened and this happened and this happened? Do we want to just affirm that or do we want to try to understand what's going on? Right, right. Um, tell real stories and ask, do you affirm that? Yeah. Or can you not affirm this, this goodness and this wonderfulness that's going on in this mm -hmm. and and we begin to then unwind what it is we affirm what it is we don't affirm and wh where we're going in terms of what god's doing to redeem sexuality that's good can you give me those three tactics just back to back to back for people who are listening um <laughs> three tactics by the way i treat them all in the back i think i have five or six tactics that i treat in the back of the upcoming book nice. the church of us versus them uh i had asked good questions Never try to defeat an opponent. Tell a real story. That's good. Well done. Yeah. And tell a real story is normally a personal story. Um, doesn't necessarily have to okay. be only personal. It can be a real story about a friend or a person that you have, you know, uh, a real relationship with. Great. Yeah. I'm feeling pretty satisfied. Well, um, you know, we've just touched the surface. You, you know, uh, um, I saw where Brian Zahn said that this kind of illustrates the problem of large churches and the task of a, of a pastor, of a large, of pastors with large churches and, and how difficult these things are. Uh, I'm thinking about what he said about we have both ICE agents and undocumented immigrants in our church. Well, okay, but there's something really wrong about just having those people sitting side by side in the pew. Right. Or I don't know if Brian has pews, but right. seats. There's something bizarre, something off yeah. when those yeah. people are not talking to each other. I, I, I'm not saying they're not talking together and Brian. And Brian, I don't understand the situation. I'm just saying, think about, uh, we, we don't want ICE agents and, and uh, undocumented workers sitting on the opposite side of the church building no, trying yeah. to avoid each other on Sunday morning. Yeah, we, we, we actually want them to be in a missional community in the same home together. Exactly, and, and that might <laughs> right? actually 
be a place out of which the transformation of the absolutely, world happens. Absolutely. When the ice worker says, I can no longer do right. A or B and goes into work and starts becoming an advocate mm-hmm. for the undocumented worker or the undocumented worker starts to have an avenue to become documented all because right. of ice. Th- I mean, this is how the world changes, but... It's not enough to say we got both ICE workers and undocumented workers sitting in the same building. Now what do we do? Well, we have these tactics of conversation and opening up space. But that's that's the problem of a megachurch, wouldn't you agree? Right. We need to be able to find spaces where they can gather around the table together. And that can only be done in places of intimacy right we're not talking about getting their own little wafer and little cup and drinking it in the corner somewhere no we it's like you were talking about earlier about the eucharist and the transformative power of the space the presence of christ in a social reality called the eucharist but that's hard to do in a big church it's hard to do and especially when you're caught in the middle it's hard to do but we trust and believe there is another way yeah so for all you peeps out there pastors leaders christians caught in the middle can we have practices can we have spaces to open up and hold open for conversation allow god to do what god is going to do to heal the world now having said that there's probably a lot more to be said on this topic a lot more questions that we've provoked than we've answered that's the sign of a good podcast Mike Moore, you hit the ball out of the park today. Um, you you gave me a nice underhand pitch. I have no idea what that means. You pitched it. I hit it. Oh oh! Uh, I don't. I, I'm I was over, just I was just continuing. I play the baseball, metaphor. not softball. Anyways, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you have time, give us a little plug on iTunes. Give us a little. What do you call that? Review. Yeah, give us a review. Um, thanks for listening from the Griffith Sound Studio. Uh, here on a nice cold winter day in November. Folks, it's over and out. Till next time. See you later. Thanks for listening.